Now, my guest this morning is someone who has always impressed me with her determination and her energy. But more than that, she's someone who is open and honest when life is less than, well, picture perfect. It's not easy when your career can demand that you, you have to literally put your best face forward. Good morning, Michelle Doherty. Oh, good morning, Shay. How are you doing? Or That's a very nice sh- intro. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. Picture perfect is right and little do, little do people know. Huh? No, little do. Actually, we should really say good evening because you're speaking to us from, where are you speaking to us from? Make us all jealous. I am. I'm sitting in North Bondi in Sydney <laughs> on the other side of the world. So it is, um, yeah, it's late at night here, so. And I always ask this to guests and people wonder why. What's the weather like there? Just to upset everybody. I really don't want to upset you right now. But um, actually, you know, this might make you feel better. There was torrential rain earlier, but um, it's probably about 20 something degrees, 26 degrees. Yeah. Sorry, I believe you guys are having a little bit of snow at the minute, especially yes. up in my neck of the woods, up in Donegal. Oh, yes. They're getting a little bit of a yellow warning, I believe. So I've got my parents actually with me at the minute, which is lovely. So they're yeah. feeling very smug right now. Oh, lovely. And and you have your husband, Mark, and your son, Max, there as well. Yeah. Well, no, he's not my husband. We are living in Senway. It's de facto. <laughs> um, I love that he got that little upgrade without actually having to spend the money on me. But anyway. <laughs> well, I love the thing of living in sin because once you get married, there's a lot less sin. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. 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 Yes. Um, look, that's where you are now. Let's let's go back to a little bit back. Let's go back to 2016. Uh, where were you yeah. in your life at that stage? So in 2016, we were very lucky. We got pregnant again. This was our second um, second child. Max uh, was our first, thank God, our firstborn. Anyway, at 11 weeks, um, obviously, I never thought any of this thing, these things could happen. But um, I started bleeding and obviously got an awful fright. And when I went to have a checkup done, there was no heartbeat. And they sent me off for a whole week just in case I got my dates wrong. And I know anybody who's trying for a baby doesn't get their dates wrong. Um, and I had to sit for a whole week and find out that I would miscarried our, our little baby. So um, that was the start of it. And then I went on to have three more miscarriages in a row. And I know for people who are trying and have a miscarriage, the excitement when you see that that line in your pregnancy test, you just automatically get carried away. You're like, you've already started imagining what this little one is going to be like. And it's very hard then to sort of deal with um, when it doesn't actually um, go ahead. So so that was very tough. Now, my fourth miscarriage was in, um, we'd moved to Melbourne at that stage. And we'd started seeing a IVF specialist there. And when they did a little test on the baby, it actually um, had Turner syndrome, which just means it was a little girl and didn't have its reproductive organs. But that was my first sign that obviously my eggs were damaged and not of good quality anymore. So they proceeded then to look, just, you know, put us through three rounds of IVF just to, you know, we might be lucky. We might have got a good egg in there somewhere. And um, they all failed as well. You know, there's something about, yeah. I can hear it in your voice, but, you know, a lot of people listening this morning will have experience of what you're talking about, particularly a miscarriage. And, and, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And a lot more people who 
have had to go through IVF or no, even more because it is the most painful thing to go through. You're putting um, hormones, injecting hormones into your body every day. It's brutal. It's painful. Your your hormones are all over the place. Your emotions are all over the place. You're pinning all your hopes on this. You're, it's spending an absolute fortune because we all know it's not cheap to do either. And um, every time it fails, it's like another... I guess punch in the stomach, basically. So that that was brutal. Yeah, I think it's a, it's probably especially for people listening as well, and for you, and for me actually, um, that each miscarriage is a loss, is a baby, yeah. is yeah, a potential. It's it's well, it's devastating. No, oh, oh, your hopes are high, sky high. Like this one's going to be fine, and and you know, like unfortunately, the statistics from this guys are massive. But I, I never faced it before. I'd never heard of anyone having a miscarriage, so I didn't actually realise the pain and the hurt that comes with it until you're actually in that situation yourself. And a lot of times as well, it feels like everybody else around you can just get pregnant and why is this keeping happening to me? You know, I'm a good mom, I'm a good person. Like, do I deserve to be going through all this? You're going through all of this sort of negative chat as well, going, why Why is it happening to me though? And I think that sort of plays a big role in not being in a great place, basically. And I, I, you know, people want to find out if you're pregnant. They want to ask you, right? They literally really want to ask oh, you. Yeah. Once it becomes public, it becomes kind of public property. And then if, unfortunately, yes. the pregnancy doesn't work out, that there is a miscarriage, then that's a kind of, you've got to go through that as well. It's a constant reminder, yeah. Or like when I say this, I don't mean any harm, but, you know, when somebody says to you, oh, could you not have another wee one? And you're like, oh my God, if only you knew what I'm going through to try and have another wee one. Yeah, you know the insensitive comments, and I know that people don't mean it, but it's just, uh, I guess the more we talk about it, the more awareness that we create that it's, you know, maybe it's not something that you should just ask a new couple, they've been married for a few years or whatever, a couple that that you should feel should be having a baby. And also, it's not everybody's choice to have a child. So it's just, to, I guess, to be a bit more mindful about making these little comments. How was Mark through these these events to miscarriage and IVF? Um, so Mark is <laughs> like a, your typical man, doesn't really talk about it. So, yes, yeah, suppose, suppose you feel then that there's a distance between you or, or there's a little bit of resentment. It's like, oh, it's just happening to me. It's my body. You know, you're not showing any emotions. So I'm the only one that's going through this. So, yeah, it's tough. Um, and I guess maybe selfish on my part that I wasn't really checking in on him and asking if he was okay or how he was coping with it. It was just all about me, basically. But unfortunately, that's where I was at that time. And So particularly with, with your job as well, I know like, we watched you on Exposé. You're a model by profession. You, of course, have other things that you do as well. But you're very much front-facing. People are used <laughs> to seeing you looking well, smiling, putting, yes. putting up, I suppose, what, what we call fronting. Absolutely. Um, and I am the queen of it. Um, and in fact, the worst pain that I'm probably in, I'm putting on the best show of my life and everything's fine. And oh, nothing to see here. Um, when you mention that picture perfect comment, it's it's funny because everyone looks at you and thinks you have this perfect life and 
you know, you've got a lovely partner and a beautiful son and like what more could you ask for? You've got everything, but it's just, <laughs> it's not always the way it is behind the scenes. Behind, well, literally behind the scenes because you're an actor too, so your yeah. your acting skills uh, come in, yeah, into play. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. you've, gone, you've gone through four miscarriages, yeah. you've gone through the cycles of IVF. What's the next step then in, in trying to have a baby? So um, then we had to make a really tough decision then about um, thinking about having an egg donor, which didn't really sit well with me. I, you just feel like a failure and something like, you know, oh my God, I can't believe that I've had to go to this stage. But I guess that's how much I really wanted a sibling for Max. And I absolutely love children and I couldn't accept that this was my path. And Mark, you know, just as he said it to me, he was like, Michelle, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be growing inside your belly. Your blood will be flowing through it. It's going to hear, you know, it's going to hear you all the time. And so we sort of came around to the idea. So we did a bit of research and because we were flying home to Ireland, we picked um, somewhere along our way um, to Ireland because it's very hard to do a donor in Australia. So we picked Prague. And we go on our journey and we get three A-plus embryos. And now I'm like, okay, I'm out of the equation. My bad eggs are out of the equation. My body's obviously fine because I carried Max, no problem. And I, I think this is the hardest part for me because it was almost like I've taken everything out of the equation that's going to go wrong. Surely this is this is just going to be a walk in the park. So we transfer one, and then you're not allowed to do a test for two weeks. But of course, inside you're like, oh come on! And when I did the test, it came up negative, and everyone was giving out to me, going, you're told to wait for the two weeks. So then I had to make the journey back to Melbourne and do the test after the 14 days, and it was negative again. And <laughs> I, I just I I remember screaming and crying. Um, with the actual despair and disappointment, um, couldn't understand why this could possibly be happening. And in the meantime, you're also preparing your body with IVF injections and you're after putting your body through the mill again. And this is the outcome and it's just really hard to accept. So I was really angry after that. And then I didn't want to leave too much time between the next one. Did the journey on my own this time, which was pretty hard, but um, a really lovely friend of mine came with me for the transfer. And again, no, no success. And, and as I said, I think this was harder nearly than the IVF. No, this has to work. Um, and then COVID happened and we, um, we couldn't get back for our last one. So a couple of years passed and I'd like to say it was time for me to heal. But I think... When I knew that that one was still sitting there, I sort of had this hope, I guess. So I just kept the hope and just, yeah, kept going. Did you get back then to, to Prague? So then we were flying back after two years since we'd seen our family. So we were doing the journey again and had our transfer. And I'd found out that, no, it didn't work again. And... That was, that just broke me completely then, because I knew that was my last my last shot, our last shot, should I say? Um, and yeah, that was that was yeah, breakdown point for me. So financially, I'm sure it's very taxing on you financially, emotionally mm -hmm. horrendous. And how how are you and Mark mm -hmm. at, at this stage? Oh, uh, we're just. 
I think I'm just completely numb and it's almost like we don't know what to say to each other. We actually don't know what to say to each other at this stage and there's so much anger and resentment inside of me so probably not the easiest person to be around either and, and that is the big thing about um, IVF and these fertility journeys. You know, the hurt and pain that goes goes on between couples as well because it's, you know, you just don't know what to say to each other. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and there's no explanation and you're just so angry and you're like, you're angry at the world, you're angry at everybody and of course you're going to take it out on the person closest to you. Mm-hmm. Not that that's okay, um, but it was really tough on our relationship, yeah. And then you're looking for something to numb the pain, a couple of glasses of wine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, it's fine, I'll just drink, it'll be fine, I'll take away the pain. Um, and it took away the pain that night, and you'd be like, right, the pain's back tonight, I'm going to have to have another drink. Um, and then didn't want to see anybody, didn't really want to talk to anybody, because that, I had to put on that show, pretending everything was fine. And, you know, I just actually got tired of listening to myself like being sad, you know, when I was like, I don't want to talk to anybody about it because first of all, unless you've gone through the same experience, you have no idea what it's like. Um, You've no idea what to say to the person and that's hard. And so then it's not that people don't want to see you either, but they just don't know what to say to you. And as I always say to like, you know, anyone that's going through it, like, we don't want you to have answers. We don't expect you to have answers. We just want you to sit with us. We just want you to check in on us. We just want you to look, say, I'm here if, if you need anything. But it, it makes people uncomfortable. And so you just say nothing. And even if my family was checking in on me, I'd keep my conversations really short and upbeat. And then it was like, minute the phone call would be done. It would be like crying and, yeah, um, just, self-soothing um, which is not a good good way to go either because that's just um, that's just a, an easy fix and it doesn't last long enough um, so it was, it was terrifying like, uh, and it was terrifying probably for Mark to be watching as well even though you think you're not being secretive but you're hiding covering it up well but you're, you are at the other end of the world. Your family is back. Yes. In, your family's back in Donegal. I'm sure you have good friends there, but it's not the same as having your mommy around. And having, yeah, having, no, absolutely. Having, yeah. having that chat. And then you yeah. don't want to be a burden to them because you don't want them to be worrying about you. So exactly. you just cover everything up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. you don't want, you don't want the last thing you want to say, yeah. I'm worried about you. And then you go, oh, my God, now I'm worried about you worrying about me. And then your other best friend, Mark, is right in the middle of it with you. So at what point do you think, I think I might need some help? I, I think he he just stepped in and he and he said, Michelle, like, you know, you're going on as if as if you're fine, but you're not fine, and I feel it's a lot that you've been through that we perhaps need to speak to somebody about it. So we decided to go speak to somebody um, individually first, and um, and I met this amazing um, psychotherapist who I think for the first time for the first time in all of this, um, he just. Listened and he didn't try to fix things and he just um and I just I was exhausted as well because when I'm when I'm upset about something I clean <laughs> and I make myself really really busy to try and distract myself and I was physically exhausted and emotionally exhausted and um and so I went into him and I said um, I feel like I need to go on a yoga retreat 
treat for a weekend, you know, and that might make me feel better. And he's looking at me and say, a what? A yoga retreat? Okay. And then he said the most powerful words. He was like, you know, you've literally been through trauma after trauma. And it's like, and every time he said you've been treading water for eight years and every time you try to get your head above water, you're being pushed back down again. So you're coming back up again and paddling along for a little bit and then off you go again. And he said, he said, I really hope you don't take this the wrong way. He said, but this is amazing facility that I want to suggest to you. He said a rehab, and I was like, what? Do you think I'm an alcoholic? And he was like, no, not at all. He said, but you have been through so much. If you don't do something about this, something bad is going to happen. And for the first time, I actually was like, okay, I need to listen to someone who's professional and knows what they're talking about. So he suggested this place. And normally, I'd put it on the long finger. It was coming up to Christmas. And obviously, the thoughts of leaving Max, I was like, I can't leave my... My my child um, and this gorgeous friend of mine. I had a chat with her, and she was like, "You're going." She was like, "We'll be here for Mark. We'll be here for Max. You need to look after you." I just listened to her words, and I was like, "Okay." So I rang the place, and within a couple of days, I was going in there. No time to think about it. It was like I was just going in, and obviously that scared me. And I thought, "How?" Oh, have I ended up in this place like this is the worst but anyway I was willing to do whatever it took because as my journey didn't work out the way I thought I'm still a mum to my beautiful wee boy who needs me more than anything How do you tell him you're going to be gone for three weeks? So I spoke to the psychotherapist about it and I said you know what do I do and he said look the best thing to do is just be honest. And so I said, you know, the way mommy gets upset a lot about, you know, not being able to have another baby and brother or sister for you. And I said, mommy just really feels like she needs to speak to someone who can help her try and try and be able to deal with this better because I want to be a better mom for you and I want to be a better partner for your dad. And um, I have to go away for three weeks um, to talk to these doctors and they're going to help me get better. And so I explained it really honestly, and it has been a big lesson for me for parenting. You know, like stop protecting them. It's better maybe just to be honest. And it made it a little bit easier on him, actually. I know there are people listening to this this morning for, and for a variety of reasons, as you've said, not necessarily alcohol, but for all the trauma that maybe need to go yeah. go somewhere for a couple of weeks to have inpatient treatment. Yeah. And they're really scared. They're really worried. And like, you know what? The embarrassment. I was like, how do I tell my family that this is where I am right now? And I just thought, you know what? This is my life and this, I only get one shot at this life and I don't want to be going around suffering with my mental health and not knowing how to deal with things. And that's why I always say, please, please talk to someone. I know sometimes we feel there's not enough support there, but if you search hard enough, there is. Like, even when I talk about this now, it does come a big embarrassing part with it. But being on the other side of it now, and the benefits that I have gained from that facility, I will never be able to explain to someone. And not just me, like anybody that I met in there, like we all looked after each other and we all supported each other. And I have nothing but the utmost respect for them. And I just feel, don't be afraid to let yourself down and just go, right, I'm not in a good place and I need I need somebody to talk to and I'm, I'm not continuing like this. I suppose for, for many people, 
the thought of rehab is probably what they've seen on television and usually American television where they arrive and drop yeah, off by a car and, and two, two men in white coats yeah. come out and, and bring you in and yeah, take, take everything off you. That isn't the case. No, and, and I can vouch for that. And as I said, it's not just for um, alcohol and gambling and drug addiction. It's for extreme anxiety, trauma, grief, yeah, and so much more. And I think, as I said, like, I was so naive going in there. I was like, oh, my God, like, I cannot believe I'm going into some place like this. The safety that I felt in that place, because, you know, like, you're going, you know, like, like I was able, because I had a small uh, child, I was allowed to just call Max every evening. But then I found that really tough because it was kind of upsetting to hear his wee voice and I'm stuck in this place. But... Um, yeah, so you've no mobile phone, you've no TV, nothing, and how you can adapt to that life almost actually got to the stage that I was scared to come out. <laughs> we have this lovely compassion for each other and empathy, and unfortunately the real world isn't like that. So it was an, a massive eye-opener, probably one of the best things I've ever done. Terrifying, but one yeah. of the best things, yeah. You, you talked about, about fronting, and at what point within three weeks do you suddenly realise, actually, I'm not fronting now, I'm being... I'm being honest. When you break down and you hit rock bottom. <laughs> because everybody said it to me, they were like, oh my God, you've got such a lovely energy, such this, that and the other. And then when you actually have to tell your story and go through everything that's happened and you literally break, you're broke <laughs> to down on your knees going, oh my God. And they're like, right, this is what you need to learn from this. You cannot put on this front it's not possible. You cannot continue, you cannot go through as much pain and grief as you've gone through and pretend everything's fine. It doesn't work that way. And if you think that you have to pretend to have this perfect life, they're like, one thing I need you to learn before you leave here is there is no such thing as perfect. Because I have a terrible problem with, not, with perfection. I can't not be perfect. And maybe that's why this whole journey has been so upsetting for me also is because this doesn't happen to me. Everything works out for me. But what, what, sorry, what? And so it was a great lesson. There is no such thing as perfect. Stop trying to be perfect. So obviously this is a work in progress. Like there are days where I still have my bad days. Daily I have to journal. Daily I have to meditate. Um, I have to exercise a good few times a week just to kind of, you know, get my energy levels up. And um, I feel very blessed to be living by the sea because I get this massive energy from the sea I think being a wee Donegal girl living up in Malinhead <laughs> um, and so I get a lot of energy from the sea so I'll do my little meditation by the sea and always have to be by the sea at some point in the day. Can I ask you a question and, and you, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to but yeah. when those thoughts come when you remember the grief, when you remember the, the babies that weren't born, what do you do differently now? Um, I think there's, they say there's five stages of grief and one of them is acceptance and I, I, I won't ever be able to accept that I haven't been able to have another child. I'm just able to live with it better because I I kind of think, okay, you've gone and, and you've done all this work on yourself because you want to be a better mom to Max and I put my heart and soul in being the best mom that I can be to him. I also, when I was in um, therapy, I had to write a letter to my unborn babies, but the ones that I miscarried. And that was extremely powerful. Um, very difficult, but extremely powerful. And it was, because it felt like it gave them a life. Yeah. <laughs> as my little baby. That was a baby that I was growing yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, and so 
I could acknowledge that they did exist and they are they will always be a part of my life. Mm-hmm. And um and I try and talk to them. Um and I actually I have one one kind of buried at home in my parents' house and under my nana's tree. Um yeah, so when I go home to the legal, I always get to go in and speak to that little one <laughs> under the tree. And my nana's looking after it also. Yeah. We did something similar actually with my dad's grave. Oh, yeah. So when we go to my dad's grave, then we have a little chat. Yeah, it's important to acknowledge what you've gone through. Um, I know not everybody's going to understand. And the sad thing for me is the amount of women that have reached out to me going, oh my God, this is the first time someone has actually put into words what this feels like. And, you know, because I'm not able to express it myself. And, And the whole point of me doing this was, I'm not looking for a pity party by no means, but I feel it's not talked about. And, you know, the, the scary thing, Shay, is, like, this isn't just happening in this day and age. It's just that we have more platforms to, you know, tell our stories. Whereas, I guarantee if you talk to ladies 40, 50, 60 years ago, they've gone through the same thing, but it just wasn't talked about. And, and I just, I don't think that's fair because it is painful. And anybody that spoke to him trying to tell them to make sure, you know, if they can look up some support groups and... I, I think the GP is a great place to start. If you have, well, look, if you have a GP, you can talk to <laughs> And the referral to the psychotherapist for you started you on that road to recovery. Changed my life, yeah, completely. So what, what's what's happening now? Your modelling, acting, photography, well, all the things, all the all your your the strings to your bow. What are you oh What are you doing God, now? Jack of all trades, master of no <laughs> like it, more, more like it. Um, obviously, my most important job in the world is being a mom. And then I have recently made a decision to start counselling because I got so much. I can't even put into words the change that these people made to my life, the psychotherapist that I dealt with in this facility, that it started me thinking, oh my God, imagine if I could just give a tiny little bit of that back. And I do feel like I do have a lot of empathy and I do have a lot of, um, um, I'm easy to talk to. So I thought, right, let's, um, so I've, I've gone back to start studying and I'm going to study to be a counsellor and then um, see where that takes me. And also, I try and and um, try and see. And I remember speaking to a counselor years ago, and she's, you know, she was trying to say to me, you know, maybe a job with children might be because I love children. And she's like, maybe that's what you need to be doing. And you know, imagine being a counselor for young people that you could actually be there for them so that they can share their story early on it might actually be able to help them a little bit later in life I, I just thought wouldn't that be very nice Michelle thanks for taking the time to take the call in Australia this morning this, this <laughs> evening <laughs> I can go to bed now Shay just way past my bed <laughs> and can I just say you've been incredibly honest um, and I'm sure there are thousands of people listening this morning who've been touched by what you've said yeah. and as you said uh, there are resources available um you know, like yes. like the Mis- Miscarriage Association, Ireland Miscarriage IE, who I, yes. I was involved with, and there there are lots of resources. The GP is a great resource, mm-hmm. and friends and family will give you some. Hopefully, give yeah. you a good steer as well. Can I can I ask you, uh, Mum and Dad, what have you had them up to the last couple of few, few days? You've had them. Where have you been bringing them? So they're off to the um, they're off to Circular Quay in the morning to see the Harbour Bridge and the uh, Upper House. 
Um, they've been doing the walk from Bondi to Bronte and nearly got them killed here. God love them. Um, and we live in a, an apartment that has like a communal pool. So they've been, the first couple of days they were exhausted. So they were just happy chilling right there. <laughs> but our apartment block is like Melrose Place. It never stops. And they nearly know everybody in the apartment block at this stage. So it's actually very funny. Uh, listen, they're from Donegal. Um, what would yeah. you expect? Yeah, exactly, exactly. The gift of the gas. But anyway, they're having a great time and it's just so lovely having them here. And Max is loving having his family and granddad. So it's just amazing, yeah. Good. Well, we all here wish you and Mark and Max well. And, uh, and hopefully, Thank you, hopefully Shane, we get and I really appreciate it. Not at all. Hopefully we get to talk to you about other things in the future. In a little bit happier circumstances, exactly, yeah. Brilliant. Michelle Doherty, thanks, thanks for joining Shane, us this morning. Thank you, take care. The text number is 51551. 